Welcome to Fifth Words, We Need New Stories. Episode 7, Lawrence's and Nyaradzai's Story, As Fate Would Have It, written by Zodwanyoni and directed by Anastasia Osei-Kufur. This episode contains references to racism. <coughs> okay. Uh, d- 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 testing, one, two. Testing, one, two. All right. Right then, Lawrence and Nyari, thank you both for agreeing to take part in this project. <laughs> thank, thank you for you. having us. Uh, let's just jump in. Tell me, where were you born? I was born in Chitungwiza in 1977. Me too, at same year but in Bulawayo, Matabele land, the land of the Ndebele. I'm not Ndebele though, I'm Shona. Me too. I grew up in Hillside, a suburban area. We had a swimming pool. Oh, fancy. (laughs) Chitungwiza is not the type of place most people have swimming pools. Uh, We didn't always live in Hillside. Before independence, we lived in Luveve. The townships were where all the black people were segregated to. It is still a high-density area. All the white people got to live in the fancy neighborhoods like Hillside. And even after independence, it didn't change the power structures that played out in our daily lives. In what ways were they still the same? My high school convent was still being run by German nuns. And all the teachers who taught vernacular languages were black. Was this the same for you, Lawrence? Yes. Growing up, I saw traces of the colonial area in our church. Mm. Back in the days, Zimbabwe used to be part of the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland. This included Zambia and Malawi. So in our church, we, we had Shona and Chichewa. And what was your childhood like? Eventful. How so? I have epilepsy. When the seizures first started at eight years old, no one really knew what was going on. The doctors tried everything to figure out what was causing it, but with no luck, my parents turned to witch doctors. Mm. A witch doctor? Why not stay with a doctor doctor? It was the doctor doctor who told them to seek spiritual help because modern medicine was failing me. Um... Tell me more about witch doctors. Witch doctors, sangomas, practitioners, traditional healers, whatever you want to call them, they make herbal concoctions or throw bones to receive messages from the other side. Bones speak to the dead. Bones predict futures. Bones cure illnesses. Mm -hmm. Bones cast out evil spirits. Zimbabwean cultures exist on the border of different realms. Causes of things can't be explained here. They will be explained on the other side. The people who knew me, my friends and family, always saw me as Lawrence. They would take care of me if I had fits away from home. Things went the same at high school. New environment, new friends, old explanations being said repeatedly. I used to worry that if I had fits, no one would be able to help me. That must have been upsetting. People feared me. They thought that if they touched the form coming out of my mouth, they would catch the epilepsy. If something was not understood, it was seen as strange. 
but they just needed a little more education on the science before jumping into the demonic explanation. Mm. It's so interesting to hear how different cultures understand the events in their lives. For you, Nyari, what was your childhood like? I mean, we moved back and forth between Harare and Uluwayo. I wasn't your typical boy-crazy teenager. Mm-hmm. My dad worked as a top executive and at one point we could afford to send my older brother and sister to university in South Africa. But when it was my turn, unfortunately he had lost his job. How did that change in economic status affect you? I wanted the same opportunities as my siblings. I wanted to go abroad for university too, but we had to move to Mashingo, a smaller city. Bulawayo is the second largest city in Zimbabwe. I had to look at local universities to study accounting. What did you study, Lawrence? I did math, biology and chemistry at A-level. I wanted to be a pharmacist, but there was only one university, Harare Polytechnic, that took a handful of students on the course. As it turned out, I was not clever enough to get selected. (laughs) So what did you do then? I got on to what was like an apprenticeship and worked as a pharmacy technician. I'd adjust drugs using the same meth skills that didn't get me into university. <laughs> at, at 20 years old, I was making good money. Mm. Uh, more than my older brother. He was annoyed. <laughs> I can imagine. OK, so we're getting into your 20s now. You're either studying or working. Nyari, what did you do after graduation? My dad did his best to make sure that I didn't feel shortchanged. When I graduated, he got me an interview with an NGO. The job was mainly uh, managing people. Like Lawrence, I was in a great position. I was able to transfer to Mutari in the Eastern Highlands. My sister lived there with her son. Everything was fine until 2002 when the economy crashed. Inflation went up and my nice $2,500 a month salary went to $120. Uh, The situation was so bad that you had to spend the money as soon as you got it because that salary could easily become worthless by the next week. Is that when you decided to move to England? I'd never planned on leaving Zimbabwe. But when my brother had finished university, he applied to work in the UK. He was settled and he was the one who planted the idea. Did you think you'd end up in the UK, Lawrence? I was comfortable, but if I did go anywhere, I dreamed it would be America. You know, how TV and pop culture crawls inside of you and makes you think that maybe one day you'll be in New York standing in front of Times Square eating Chicago pizza. (laughs) (laughs) The fantasy became a reality I'd have to confront when everyone else started leaving. Uh, Who was the first to leave? My brother. Went to Australia at first and then ended up in England. He couldn't stand the racism there. Then some friends left too, and my girlfriend at the time left mm. without telling me. You know, a lot of people did that, just left in silence. I was alone in the end. Was it like there was a drain sucking out all the people? When Zimbabwe was hit with the sanctions, The country was going broke. The government made the country that way. People had no choice but to leave. Mm. Nyari, 
What was the process of leaving like for you? The UK started limiting visas when the sanctions hit. The embassy would only offer appointments to 200 people a day. And that didn't mean 200 people were getting granted either. The first time me and my sister went to queue up, we got there at 6am. We were already late. Can you imagine? (laughs) The line was around the building. People started hiring others to stand in line for them at 2am. That's ingenious. Ah, you have to be resourceful in Zimbabwe. (laughs) I paid someone to wait in line for me too. If it wasn't for that person, I wouldn't have finally gotten my appointment. Soon after, my visa was granted. Back then, applying for visas wasn't difficult. Mm. All you needed was money. Now you have a lot of people claiming asylum and the process is very difficult. I think... A lot of people have assumptions that getting your residency in this country is very easy. But, as we see and heard in countless stories, that is not the case. What were your expectations of England? Lawrence, you go first. Orange juice. Orange juice! (laughs) (laughs) Listen, uh, all I ever remember seeing on TV was choice. Choices of food of drinks, of TV channels, of internet providers, of cars. When things were hard in Zimbabwe, you didn't get choices. My mind was blown when I arrived and my brother took me to McDonald's. The menu was so long and the exchange rate so great. (laughs) So I thought I could work, indulge in my choices and still be able to take care of my family back home. I just wanted to be with my brother, but this country is a grind culture. He had to work away from home on the week that I arrived. I had to stay with my aunt in London. So I did what any foreigner would do in a new place, became a tourist. (laughs) I got on the tube in the wrong direction at first, uh, but eventually found my way. I hit all the hot spots in central London, Big Ben, Buckingham Palace, the guards with the big tall heads, <laughs> and the red buses. <laughs> I took pictures of everything. By the fourth day, my aunt was sitting me down and telling me that I needed to get a job. I was given a bus pass and the yellow pages told to find a job. Anyway, I eventually found one in Buckshire. My first job interview was with a Zimbabwean woman who, it turned out, was the mother of a boy I'd gone to school with. (laughs) A lot of new arrivals end up in care jobs. They also share stories of British clients being racist and vile towards them. Oh, yeah, I had that too when I worked in care. Was that your first job? No, my first job was working on the tills at a university cafe in London. I had no idea what I was doing, but I lied and said I did because I needed the money. Luckily, I didn't have to do it for long. My brother was ready to receive me in Nottingham. His two-bedroom council house with exposed floorboards became home. Ah, Caring was one of the jobs I did. I also tried administration. I didn't like that. Mm. There's this pressure to perform, and if you're not this machine, you're excluded from the culture. I work in civil service. I like people. I might want to be a project manager at some point. I like doing creative things too. My granddad was a tailor. So was my father. He sparked my creativity. 
I bought myself a sewing machine for my birthday. Yeah, which she is yet to start using. <laughs> I will. After I'm done executively producing your films. Me and Lawrence also have that in common. Filmmaking. I guess we share a general love of the arts. I, I did a college course in filmmaking, but now I mostly do it in my spare time. I like that we can do that together. <laughs> uh, let's get on to that, since you're jumping ahead of my question. How did you meet? <laughs> get more of the love stories feelings. <laughs> 2017. I had a solicitor helping me sort out my immigration. He shows me a picture of a woman and says, what do you think of her? Arcella Black would be proud. Who is she? Oh, uh, she used to host a show called Blind Date in the 90s. Oh, oh, oh. oh right. <laughs> anyway, I thought she was beautiful. Still is. He gives me her number and told me to call her. I took her number, all excited. But when I called, she was like, Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Call me later. I'm dancing. I was. I was like, she's rude. <laughs> so I didn't call back. Your friend had to check you for that. Yes, he did. And I'm glad he did. <laughs> I, I still have a photo from the day we met. You do? Of course, I do. I'm the one who usually keeps the sentimental things. I'm sentimental too, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm remembering coming up to, to Nottingham like it was yesterday. She showed me around the city. Miss Coria Restaurant, The Arrow, the oldest pub, Highfields Park. We had a really good day. Uh, it just felt natural being around him. He felt like home. I didn't want him to leave. We went out a few more times and then I asked him to move to Nottingham. Which I did in 2018. When it's right, why waste time? <laughs> Start forever after now. Because you'll never know what life can bring to cut your happiness short. Your illness reminded you of how fragile life can be, right? Mm -hmm. You were sick. May I ask what happened? This was before I met him. But before I came to England, uh, around 2003, I had a thyroid problem. My surgery was done in Zim, but not properly, as it turned out. My GP in England told me that I had dangerously low calcium levels. Like, this call came when me and my sister were just perusing around Primark. He called in a panic and told me to get to the city hospital. He was so confused about how I'd been living like this. I was on a drip for a week. I really am glad that I was able to get the help I needed from the NHS then. If I'd stayed in Zim, I don't know what would have happened to me. Yeah. And at, at the time when things are happening, you don't always know what the why is. But fate has a plan. All roads have led us to our life in Nottingham. I'm still exploring the city. I have a British passport now, so we can also explore abroad, too. <laughs> uh, was your citizenship easy to get? God, no. <laughs> uh, what happened? It used to be that you could change a visitor visa into a student visa. But in the summer of 2003, the government changed the rules. I'd made my application before the changes. 
The Home Office didn't care. From 2009, I was in a legal battle for my residency. I watched friends surpass me. They'd graduate, get jobs and raise families, whilst I was stuck in limbo. I had to find non-traditional methods of completing my masters, all the while working and not breaking any laws. It took seven years to get my citizenship. The ceremony was kind of a non-event. I was neither extremely happy nor sad. It was the end of a long, hard process. It's ridiculous how the government can just change the laws randomly and not care about the catastrophic effects it has on people's lives. Ah, it doesn't just affect you emotionally and psychologically, but it is a very expensive process to go through. It costs... £2,404 for each person applying for indefinite leave to remain. It's another £1,330 for citizenship, not including any solicitor's fees, biometric appointments or fines if you miss anything. These are the subjects that I like making films about, mm. looking into people's lives. I, I made a film about postnatal depression and my epilepsy. Hmm. We did one about the Black Lives Matter and murder of George Floyd. You can find it on YouTube. It's like therapy for things we have been through. I get to express myself. I get to create a record of life with the person I love the most. Hmm. So, what would you say to your younger selves or Zimbabweans after 20 plus years in England? <sighs> I would say... Seize every opportunity. Don't listen to anyone that puts doubt in your mind. Try and go for what you want. In terms of jobs, there is so much more out there than care work. Learn to change your mind. Experience choice. Get to explore elsewhere. Sometimes you can get trapped into thinking where you are is the best thing. Your only contribution to a country can't just be that you were born there. Move! My outlook of life changed when I left Zimbabwe. Do you get what I mean? I understand. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I speak too much. <laughs> One of my weaknesses is that I, I want to be understood, so it makes me talk a lot. It's, it's a weakness, I know. No, not at all. Um, thank you. It's been great hearing your stories. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others. All episodes in this series are available on major listening platforms and on Fifth Word's website. The next episode in this series is Maglin's story, a second-class citizen. 